Welcome to Smart Branding, a podcast dedicated to branding, naming, and domain names. I'm Tatiana Bono, and with my guests, we try to help you create and grow strong, memorable, and meaningful brands online. I believe time is one of our most precious assets, and so I want to thank you in advance if you decide to spend the next 30 minutes with us. I promise to do my best to make those worth it. Let's go! So, hello everyone. Our guest today is Krutar Shang, founder and CEO of Avon River Ventures. He's an ex-investment banker who now helps inventors connect with investors. Thank you for making the time. Uh, it's great to have you here. So, let's start with, um, tell me a little bit about yourself first. How, how did you get to, to Avon River Ventures? What did you do before that? You're Tatiana, but first of all, like, you know, thank you for inviting me. Um, I mean, you and your team are doing a fabulous job amidst all the um, unfortunate geopolitical political uncertainties uh, that, that we are seeing around the world. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, my name is Krutarth, uh, as, as you rightly described. I'm the chief principal and founder at uh, A Wonder Ventures, and I, um, it's, it's, um, it's an investment banking firm. It's a placement agency. A um, little bit about myself. I came to Canada in uh, 2017, uh, started working as an investment banker at Toronto Dominion Securities, um, where I was managing all sorts of asset classes, starting from FX cross-currency swaps to interest rate derivatives uh, to, uh, you know, trading repo agreements for the bank. Um, made a lot of money for my vice president, whom I was reporting to at the time. And, um, yep, uh, fast forward four years, and I um, now managing my own placement agency, a subdivision of an investment bank um, by Avon River Ventures. How, so that, that's been, you said four years now? Yeah, it's been four years that we uh, we are running Avon River Ventures. How did you come up with the name? Why Avon River Ventures? Um, it's funny, and I, I get asked this question a lot of times. Uh, most of this um, investment Forums, um, you know, the top one is uh, Bridgewater Associates. Um, the other is BlackRock. Mm-hmm. Um, all these investment firms are named after um, some some natural reservoirs or, um, or or something which is very natural. So you know, I came up with um, this name Avon River Ventures. Um, it's one of the rivers here in Canada. Uh, very beautiful. Love the scene. So yep, Avon River mm. Ventures. I guess the reasoning must be that that it's the like you're asking people to trust you with their money. So exactly geographic locations and and those type of it kind of instills confidence and longevity. So it's the right type of image you want to give to people and exactly. right it it associates with. Exactly. But plus, you know, one other thing, it does not conflict with um, anything which which is you know. Um, you know, com- conflictive interest in, in some sort because it's mm-hmm. natural. It's it's a it's a name accepted by everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it, it's friction free. Like you, you're not going to have somebody saying, "Oh, yeah, but that's associated with whatever," or that means whatever. Exactly. So you help entrepreneurs raise funds. Am I getting that right? That is right. Um, most of the times, we invest our own personal. Um, from our own personal investment fund, uh, but um, you know it's it's kind of a syndicate that we do. And what would you say? Because we deal with branding and naming. What would you say? Uh, brands. What role does a brand play in raising money? I mean, you know, I differentiate brand um, in two retrospects. One is the brand of the person, the founder, 
who mm-hmm. is uh, driving the business. And second, of course, it is the business. If you talk about Facebook, the brand is Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. So it really plays a um, very high role. Um, people often, while investing, they for sure look at the company, the underlying asset, but they also you know, do a deep dive into the management resume, see how the founder of this company, the driver of this ship is and what he has done in the past, uh, his own personal brand. And uh, of course, you know the underlying asset plays a very important part as well. So when you started building your business, that that was around COVID time, wasn't it? So what what challenges did you have with that and how did you deal with them? Yeah, so in in 2019, um, you know, it was around March that I started building um, A1 River Ventures. um, And, um, you know, it was was kind of the perfect time. COVID was not not around. Nobody knew what what the disease was. and, you know, it was a perfect bull market where, where all the assets were just appreciating right from real estate um, to commodities, to public equities, to to venture financing, um, you know, startup financing. Um, everything was rising in its uh, in its uh, in its asset value. Then came September where, you know, markets started tanking down. Then, you know, we, we had experienced a lot of hardships at that time soon in March of 2020. When public markets fell, you know, still we were, you know, we were at the time of uncertainty and did not know what what this was exactly. Most of the investment bankers around the world did not even know how uh, how severe this was. I was primarily in the business of investing at that time, and then just to mitigate the risk, I started, um, you know, my lending arm of uh, Evan River Ventures, where we started. I basically had three hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars at the point of time, um, and on the other side, I had. Um, assets in, in terms of companies that were looking for funds. And I started lending money at 8 to 10%, um, you know, year or year interest. And, uh, you know, the founders were happy because they did not have any hardship in paying back uh, this this money as compared to venture financing, where usually, you know, you know, you know this, Tatiana, when mm-hmm. we invest money in, um, in, in venture space, uh, the exits are timed at 3x, 2x kind of a return. So founders, most of the time, end up paying double or triple the money that that someone has invested mm. and mostly it happens through you know raising another round of financing but here like you know at eight or ten percent return the interest return they were able to borrow money at the right time when everybody needed and i was able to pull up uh, the business from 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 the ground bottom and yeah so so essentially you know to your question um we started and um, uh, the lending arm of, of mm-hmm. right. Of course, it makes sense. And you kind of touched on that a bit. What would you say are some common mistakes that entrepreneurs make when? I, I guess that could apply to 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 generally growing their business, but when they're raising funds. Um, most of the times that I've seen, um, you know, these founders or or anybody who wants uh, wants to start a business has a brilliant business idea. Um, they are the first-time founders, and they have no experience in you know running a company before. They you know mm. they might have 10, 15 years experience or even lesser uh, in in their domain, but they don't know how to run a company. They don't know what nuances. Um, and most of the times, they end up partnering with um, with with the venture firms that usually would you know be very predatory. Meaning you know they would give the money, the liquid finances, mm. and you know have them up and running but in return they would ask for an arm and a leg which Mm -hmm. is very costly for them and this is the main mistake 
the measurements say, and you know, uh, possibly 70% of all the founders who are first time founders end up making mm. that they partner with um, counterparties that are, you know, very intimidating to start with, and then they, they turn predatory. So how, how can you help with that? With us, like, you know, as, as um, we have our, the way I have set up this, uh, this, this uh, arm of investment is that we don't really invest um, and, you know, plan for exits. Most of our deals are syndicate. So they are, you know, basically convertible, convertible notes, uh, either it's debt tied with some equity or it's, you know, complete debt or it's uh, some sort of a safe round, which is a win-win situation for both the founders as well as um, the, uh, you know, to us, which are which, which are on the investment side. And it is very streamlined. We, mm-hmm. whenever we invest, uh, we, you know, we have a percentage rate of return that we allocate to. And, you know, the founder, we make sure we underwrite, we do our due diligence um, in the underlying asset, the business. We do, you know, discounted cash flow analysis of how the business would perform in two or three years from now. And that's how we make investment decisions. So it's never too obvious or intensive for uh, a business um, to that they would end up in a situation of, uh, you know, complete dilemma of what exactly to do from here on. Mm. So that's where we differ from other um, venture firms. Mm, that was that was going to be my question. My next question, yeah. How, how do you differ? How do so? What would be what would you say would be a good way for somebody looking to raise funds to to know they're talking to the right person? Um, I would say you know do your due diligence. Um, any founder looking for funds, do your due diligence um, because the company that would be investing in them would also do their their due diligence. And oftentimes founders do not do their due diligence. Mm. So each founder raising funds should do their due diligence. Um, Secondly, most of the times, you know, they would end up speaking with people um, that would not align with their business idea. Um, You know, because I always say this, that, you know, the the business of investment is different than the business of running a business, which Mm. which in itself, you know, I inherited from my my, my mentor that it's it's very different um most of the times these venture capitalists who would invest uh, in early stage companies are not the right people to, in, to be investing uh, in early stage companies they would be they usually are the uh, ex investment bankers you know who has been who has been bankers for like 20 years or you know technology professionals and they now want to be in the business of investing in early stage companies because of the lucrative returns but they are not really the right set of people who would invest in early stage companies they could be a good late stage investors because they because early stage investors would require uh, some sort of specific mindset in terms of how to do product iteration product development how to work with founders what is the go to market strategy how to time the market how to you know uh, devise their pricing matrix things of that nature very small but it's directly tied up to the returns that a venture capitalist would get at the end of the day. So yeah, these people are late stage investors and they would often invest in startups with the mindset that they are investing in the late stage companies. But, uh, you know, these are early stage companies for some different kind of mindset for the one who is investing. So who would be your ideal customer in that's one question. And the second attached to that would be, do you also work with investors or is it just entrepreneurs, companies that are looking for funding? So, yeah, good question. Um, you know, both, I would say. Um, our ideal customer would be any startup, um, you know, looking to, who's a first-time founder. Uh, we work with a lot of a lot of founders who are first-time founders have a very innovative business idea and want to create something very unique. 
my personal focus is, you know, um, not not primarily that, but my personal focus is to uh, work with companies that can advance humanity by solving some of the world's hardest problems um, uh, that often revolves around cancers, climate change, mm-hmm. inequality of distribution of natural resources, uh, things of that nature. We, you know, we work with a lot of companies around oncology, oncotech, um, climate change, um, you know, uh, clean energy, renewable energy, unequal distribution of land and other resources, the one that solves that problem. Over and above that, um, you know, not just limited to that, but we work with all any business that is um, looking for liquidity for um, ground up financing, construction financing, real estate acquisition, partner buyout. If there is uh, any bridge financing involved, short-term capital requirement, we work with them over and above that. Our investment basically ranges from $50,000 of line of credit to all the way up to $75 million for construction financing projects, uh, mainly in the United States and Canada. So that's our target market. All right. And what would you say, you mentioned some sectors that you sort of have an interest or preference towards. What would you say is the state of venture or business funding now? Are there any trends? Where do you see, how do you see we're coming up to the end of 2022? So how do you see that year ending? And what can you say about the the future? Well, um, you know, currently as it stands, we are you know, j- just comparing the matrix, um, we in, in first quarter of 2021, we had the venture investment globally recorded at $58 million as compared to the, sorry, it was the second quarter. The first quarter was at $78 million, uh, million dollars, uh, which had a quarter over quarter de- decline of over 23%. As it stands, you know, there are certain geopolitical uncertainties. Um, there are some other macroeconomic factors um, that are not favoring the the interest rate borrowings and um, the cost of capital has gone up. So liquidity financing is is at the is at the forefront of this threat. Secondly, when it comes to venture firms, uh, they they have reported uh, negative IRRs um, in 2022, and they would report negative IRRs um, in in the first quarter, first two quarters of 2023 as well. So as it stands, the cost of borrowing has been at a prime plus base rate, uh, totaling at around 10% and shall continue to grow up um, upwards and onwards for the next three quarters um, moving into 2023. All right. And how can business owners and entrepreneurs, businesses that are starting now and will be in the early 2023, how how can they do better? How can they, what can they do to, to attract investments or, or lending approvals for their companies? It's a very tough time. Um, you know, we, I personally advise founders that, you know, if their startup has or their business has failed to attract liquidity, I basically tell them to, you know, make sure that they cut down their working capital and, you know, divert some of that working capital towards their business and do some, do whatever business activity that can generate greater returns. That's how they can, that's one thing. Second, you know, they can for sure reach out to us. Um, we usually look at companies that are in distress need of uh, financing and we help companies of all from all shapes and forms you know a, a startup who is who is a real startup with no revenue no background uh, with all the way up to a company that is making like 20 million dollars in annual recurring revenue uh, will will be tap into all the geographies all the sectors of business right from biotech health tech software as a service uh, commercial real estate to consumer goods erp uh, so basically you know we 
I personally let my founders know that it is very important to make sure that they don't borrow anything because mm-hmm. there's a lot of money available out there, but uh, borrowing is, they, it comes at a cost, which is which is very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, bridge financing loan would often come at around 20 to 25% you know, interest rate. Uh, that, would, that would be very, very costly for them and might end up in a situation whereby they, they pay more than what they have borrowed. I think you, you, that's the second time you're touching on that. So we can safely, I can assume, add that to the mistakes that, that founders make, especially first-time founders. Exactly. Because of their sheer need and desperation, they often borrow money um, or you know let someone to invest in their company on very harsh um, terms. Yeah, so that's definitely a point to, to take away. I guess... One more question. What is what is next for you? What is something that you're either excited about for next year or working on in your company? Sure. Um, recently, we have started um, our mortgage arm uh, of um, A1 to Avengers, um, and we are doing a lot of projects where, fa- where business owners uh, want to acquire uh, commercial real estate and um, primarily hotels. So we are, you know, I'm very excited uh, to kick in that project, we've got three deals that I'm currently working on. They're the founders. One one is based out in um, upstate New York. The second is in Iowa. The third is in Boulder, Colorado. All the three in the United States. Um, where we are working with the founders who want to acquire a large piece of real estate. And you know, moving forward in 2023 and upwards, um, I see Able to Ventures financing a lot of uh, commercial real estate projects, ranging from five million to all the way up to seventy-five million dollars. So yeah, that's that's where I'm looking at things shaping for. The company and you talking you talking about um, real estate and I deal with um, premium domain names which are very much real estate of the internet in a way digital real estate. Um, I'm curious to know your thoughts on on that. Like when you invest in a business, does it matter the domain name? And also, for example, I get oftentimes when I talk to entrepreneurs, I get the two sides. I get the one that are saying my investors are telling me I absolutely need to get that domain name. And you have others who say I need that domain name, but my investors are not on the same page with me on that. So, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I don't know how to how to go about that. So what are your thoughts on that? I'm curious. Um, definitely. Like, you know, domain name um, plays a very important role in whatever business, um, you know, a founder is in. First, because, you know, that is the image of the company. Um, when we say that, you know, come visit us, it's the domain name that we gave them. And, you know, if it's something very sketchy, very scammy, uh, mm-hmm. or something has, you know, extensions um, that are not very, you know, generally accepted or trusted, then it creates a very big problem. So I would say, you know, getting a very, the first and foremost thing that a founder should work on is to secure a very good domain name. So, you know, even before working on your idea, you're developing your product, iterating your product, just try and get a very good domain name that can, you know, make sure that, you know, doesn't matter what you do in, in the next 20 years, that domain would stay with you. That is your brand. And that would be at the forefront of any business that you do. I think you, yeah, you raise a very important point here that people often miss. They they often say, "Oh, I'll just get it," you know, put a website, whatever. We can change that. Or and also, people don't realize that you're gonna have that for a long time. Especially, I mean, even when you're not an online based business, but when you are an online based business, that that's pretty much your business. You know, you're there. And that idea, people go, oh, "Yeah, but that's expensive." Like you just said, you're going to have that for, you know, if you're planning to have a business within 20 years, you're going to have that for 20 years. So 
you know, it, it, it puts a very different perspective on what's expensive and is it an expense or is it an investment in your brand? Exactly. Most of the times, and you know, you've touched base upon very good. Um, it's it's an investment. It's an intellectual investment that each company must look upon because, you know, at the core of anything, a business, even if it's a mom and pop shop or, you know, even if it's some someone who's in a lawn moving business, they all want to have a small website, even if it's a one page website, you know, they, they all want their customer to visit them, to pay on that website, mm. you know, to reach out them, they would have a Google presence. So having a strong brand name, a strong domain um, is is definitely something which is very important. And Adiana, you and your team are doing a fabulous job in, you know, helping um, some of the clients to have, um, you know, a, a good brand uh, name and, and, a, and a good domain presence um, on the internet. So kudos mm. to you and your team there. Thank you. Good. Uh, last thing, where can people reach you? So our domain is avondeverventures.com. That's where people can reach us at. Um, you know, there they can reach us um, to our analyst um, or, or, you know, there's a number on our website, 424-338-5756, or they can send us an email, connect at avondeverventures.com and send their um, liquidity requirements. We'll be very happy to look into it and get back to the founders, to the business owners in a timely fashion. Great. Wonderful. Well, that's been that's been a pleasure. It's been very insightful and I'm sure it will be for our viewers too. Thank you for making the time. No worries, Tatiana. Thank you for inviting. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Smart Branding Podcast. Feel free to visit smartbranding.com for more information and reach out if you have any suggestions, questions, ideas, or just want to learn more about how a good domain name strategy can help you build a strong and successful brand. See you next time.